Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com. Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab podcast, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Each week, we want to bring you an insightful interview on a specific topic in board game design to help you design and create games people love. And now, here's your host, Gabe Barrett. What's up, my friends? Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab. Today, talking about win conditions, talking about multiple win conditions, different ways to win a game, different ways to end a game. We're talking to Noel Gusson from Panda Hawk Games. Noel, welcome to the show. Hey, how are you doing? It's a pleasure, man. Thank you. Yeah, man, I'm doing great. I am glad to have you on the show. I'm excited to kind of get into this. As we were just chatting before the show, I think we were realizing more and more that there's a lot of this, there's a lot of really cool angles with, with this, with this topic, with multiple win conditions, multiple lose conditions, multiple in-game triggers. And so I, I'm really excited to get into uh, the topic at hand, but before we do that, tell me who you are, how you got into game, game design, all that good stuff. Sure. My name is Noel Gusson. Uh, I'm an artist, designer, now self-publisher. Uh, I'm an art teacher by trade, but I've had a lot of various backgrounds from graphic design and, and a little bit of IT. Um, first game I ever designed, believe it or not, was probably at a house party in high school flipped over the back of a pizza box with a Sharpie and I made a game called Sorry Life. And it was like the, the ultimate drinking game of the time. Um, and it was something that was recyclable and next party, next pizza. And I would just kind of create this game and develop it from there. Uh, and then there was a long lull in any sort of uh, game design. And it was more about uh, my art and graphics and so forth. Um, and then a couple of years back, I was on a plane and uh, it just kind of hit me. I started sketching on the iPad and uh, I land at the in-laws, pull out their junk drawer, pull out index cards, and I just went to town. And, and that was basically it. Gotcha. And now you've got a game called Deck Fighters, which is the, the main title that you've been putting out there so far. And it's an MMA game, right? And so, but are you, are you an MMA guy? Like you are you a UFC fighter or, or just really like that, uh, that theme? Uh, definitely not an MMA fighter. Uh, you know, little league and martial arts throughout the years here and there, um, traveled overseas and, and picked up some things, but nothing major. I would never call myself a fighter. Uh, but been a fan, you know, from Saturday morning Kung Fu with Bruce Lee and Jackie Chan and the drunken master back in the day in the whole cartoon, uh, era of the eighties. Uh, but then fast forward to 1992 and 1993, I actually had the very first UFC pay-per-view at my house when I was in high school. And we rabbit-eared it all around the house, and we had a lot of uh, extracurricular activities going on, and it was a big, big jam. So me and my older brothers, we've just been fight fans, and, and specifically UFC and Strike Force and all the other brands uh, since day one, basically. So um, it's always been something that uh, it's really like the only sport I follow, basically. So I never really thought that it was going to be something that I landed into a game, and then that's when it just kind of hit me. Yeah, gotcha. Well, I'm excited to hear more about the game in a minute when we get into the kind of the mechanics and how the game works. Before we get into all that, let's let's just get a good working definition. What, when we say multiple win conditions, multiple lose conditions, what are we really talking about in the way of board games? Sure. So uh, at least my definition of it would be for a way for someone to be victorious. Um, and at different times they play, they can achieve different results to have that same outcome of being a winner. Um, and I know certain games have different lose conditions or maybe there's, there's different ways at it. But in my particular game, uh, because it's themed on mixed martial arts, um, I take right from the real sports and we try to include as much real life fight logic as possible, even though it's a fast paced game. Um, and in our particular win conditions, uh, we take right from the sport itself. So there's a knockout, uh, which there's actually one knockout card, which is basically the, uh, the probably one of the best cards to have in the game. 
Um, then you have uh, every player has 20 points of health. So another way to win would be diminish someone's health throughout the game with various striking cards. And once you deplete their health by 20, that would be a technical knockout. Um, and then we also have a submission. So you would build up certain grappling um, sets or melds to successfully play a submission card. Um, and there's a couple of those in the game. And if uh, an opponent can't uh, successfully escape that, uh, then they would be submitted and out of the game. Uh, and then we also have a decision, which is kind of like a, a take on rummy. So um, you maybe you're out down and out on your luck and uh, you want to call it quits. You uh, you add up all your remaining health and any striking card value in your hand. And whoever's the highest number, that would be the judge's decision. And that would be a winner there. Uh, and then not necessarily a win condition, but an end condition. Another one would be a doctor stoppage. Uh, where everything gets set back to zero. The latter two um, kind of frowned upon in the real fighting community. Nobody really wants to win um, by a decision because you never really want to leave it up to somebody else to you know, decide how well you fought. So even in our game, in our, in our core players and, and new fight fans out there, uh, they realize that even though that's an option in the game, it's not an option that is your go-to. Everyone wants to have a little more pride in their fight game and take somebody out with either strikes or submission. Yeah, gotcha. And for your game, it just makes a lot of thematic sense. And so let's, let's get into the, the why. Like, why is it important to think about these things when you're designing a game? You know, why is it important to have maybe multiple ways for a game to end? Well, I think one thing would just be the most important would be replayability yeah. um, and, and just the, the excitement of getting back in that game again. Like, why do I want to play this game again if I'm going to do the exact same task? Um, so, you know, obviously every game has an element of strategy. Some are more luck than others. Um, but if I can keep applying the same strategy and improving that strategy after a while, I may be a master at the game, but maybe it's not as exciting. But now having a multiple win condition, I have various ways to build different strategies throughout each time I play. So I've just sort of multiplied um, the reason why I play this game is because I, I just get more out of it. Yeah, for sure. And I think it also it can rev up the tension, right? When there are multiple ways for a game to end, you, you kind of have to be aware of that. And it can kind of create a, a more tense gaming experience, which for a fight, that makes a lot of sense. Again, that's thematic. But uh, I feel like it, it can create more tension than maybe saying, okay, this game is going to last 10 rounds. You know, we're gonna, you're going to get you know, 10 turns over the course of the next hour, and then the game is going to end. Whereas if you said, okay, the game might last 10 rounds, or it might end these other two ways. It's like, oh man, so now I have to be aware of that. And is how close is my opponent? Are they getting close to those other ways? Or how close are we getting to this or that? And so it kind of creates this atmosphere of like a little bit more tension, which I feel like creates a, a better experience for your game, assuming that it makes sense, right? Assuming that it, it, it works with the theme. Yeah, no, absolutely. And a good example of being the game is I'm looking at my health and I'm like, oh, I have 18 and I'm looking at your health and you have 17 and I've got all these striking cards and in my mind, we're going to duke it out with strikes. And meanwhile, you're passing, trading in cards, and you're kind of on the slide. I'm like, hey, what's this guy doing? Oh, he's not drawing any good striking cards. Next thing you know, you've just waited patiently and set me up in a submission that I didn't consider. And I'm building up blocks and, and uh, some other defenses. And meanwhile, I didn't think about reversals or escapes, and I just fell into your trap. So you get all excited about your strategy, and meanwhile, you're kind of forgetting, hey, wow, there's this whole other angle to the game. Yeah, for sure. And uh, let's let's just talk through a few more uh, examples. Some, some of the ones I wrote down before we started, what, what the main one I, I just thought right off the bat was King of Tokyo. And a, a game from Richard Garfield, just, an, an old, just a, a really incredible game that's so simple. But yet it has these multiple win conditions where you can you can win either by being the last monster standing and just, you know, beat up everybody else, or you can hit a, a victory point threshold and win that way. And so it creates a couple of different things going on. But I feel like, and let's, let's kind of go into a little bit deeper thing happening here. The, the other win condition of the victory points 
creates a timer. And so like you really want to beat everybody up. Like that's really what you want to do. And I feel like in your game, this obviously the same thing. You want to knock that guy out, right? You want to knock that opponent out or, or submit him or something like that. But then there's these other victory conditions, in-game triggers that create a timer for the game so it doesn't just drag on and on and on forever and become not fun. Is that kind of what you were thinking when you were working through your game? Oh yeah, I, I think definitely, you know, the excitement level, what what type of strategy is out there. You know, obviously people in this particular game and even real fighters, you know, the one punch knockout is great. That's a payday and that's a win. But a lot of fighters don't really relish on those sometimes because they didn't really get to uh, execute their game. They didn't really get to put all the training into effort. They didn't really get to showcase. And in my game, you didn't really get to taunt your opponent. You didn't really get to, you know, really beat them up. So, you know, having these different strategies throughout the game allows you to just sort of like, I guess, emulate sort of that real idea of fighting and then also just sort of... uh, experience different levels of it yeah definitely and now there's other games out there that have multiple win conditions that if if a player like is just out and out way ahead they can just win outright and you don't have to worry about counting victory points or anything like that there's an old school game called samurai from reiner akinitia that's like that if you if you have basically won by a large margin then you just win like there's no we don't have to count victory points you win or if if it's kind of closer then you start counting out the actual the points and whatnot uh and so is there like talk me through that like did you look at that for your game like if you just like just beating the mess out of your opponent like all right i win is that kind of what the knockout card is like how does it work yeah, so um, it kind of levels the playing field. It's a very fast-paced game. So even if a game ended really quick or it ended with one punch, you just shuffle again. And it's best out of three, best out of five, just like you might do like rounds uh, for a real fight or a tournament fight. Um, so yeah, if you uh, you might be down on your luck and you next thing you know, one person's got 20 health and you only have two health and you're about to go. Uh, you pull a couple of health cards, you kind of build up. In other games, you might be counted out. In other games, especially longer games, you might lose interest. You might realize, hey, there's no way coming back from this, so I'm not really invested in the game and then the person who's winning is having a great time and everyone else is like ah forget this and then you kind of lose interest in the whole game but knowing that i trade in my cards maybe once or twice and next thing i know i pull an adrenaline card or i have a combo card or i'm back in it oh look at that the ko card and maybe i also have the adrenaline card which is the only uh prevention to the knockout card in like poker that would be like the nuts mm-hmm. i can't be stopped bam ko i'm back in it and now i've won this round so yeah and no one really gets lost no one gets really taken out um the the differential between points can be caught up really quick with just like in a real fight you know some a lot of guys win in the very last second there's a, been a, a lot of famous fights where you think someone's losing 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 and in that final minute my final second even there's a submission there's a knockout so uh yeah as, as much as possible we try to give everybody a fair chance yeah i guess and i've seen lots of fights where a guy he he like just haymaker bam and that other guy was stumbling like he is he doesn't know quite where he is and the guy that threw the punch, he gets all excited and he just runs up in there trying to get that last hit and then he gets knocked out, right? Because he came in there yeah, with yeah. his hands down or something like that. And so like he thought he was about to win and all of a sudden he's on the on the canvas. He don't know where he is. And so it's cool that your game kind of simulates that stuff. Yeah, no. So prime example, you know, there's a lot of cocky fighters out there. Even one of the biggest names in the game, Anderson Silva, yeah. his style forever being an elusive counter striker. And until that moment, everyone thought he was genius and then it works, 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 works. And the one time it doesn't work, Bam. Yep. He, he eats one and then his career is. <laughs> yeah, definitely. All right. So real quick, yeah. I, I, we, we kind of get a real into like the intricacies of fighting and so forth. I just want to mention a couple things is that by nature, I'm not really a gamer and I understand by nature, most people are not really fight fans. Yeah. So I built this game for the novice gamer 
and the novice fight fan. So someone who's never watched the fight, knows nothing about real life fight logics, never taken a karate course, never been in a boxing gym, anything. I built the game in such a way that each card has any prerequisite, any sort of uh, precursor, any sort of a qualifying card written on it. So you look at the rule book just once and the learning curve is like three minutes. So I know we're throwing a lot of, a lot of fight lingo, uh, but the game is really simple enough for anybody who knows nothing about fighting to really get into it. I tried to make it inclusive as possible. Yeah, I mean, at its core, it's, it's a quick card game, right? Where you're just playing back and forth. And if, if any game that you can play multiple times within, you know, 20, 30 minutes, that's got to be an accessible game. It's got to be on the gateway side of things as far as being able to get into. And so, uh, and and with the the timers, and that's another thing I think we can go a little bit more in depth in. There's a lot, lots of games where they it needs a timer. It needs a, another uh, end game trigger, another win condition, because players, they, they get in this zone of like just min maxing. And everybody's like, maybe they're real close together in points. And so everybody's trying to itch, itch just a little bit further ahead, you know, and do different things. And, and it's just kind of not so fun anymore when everybody's just trying to, to trying to get that one point advantage over somebody else. And, and it kind of drags out. Sometimes that's one thing I, I noticed in the game that I was working on is that the game, it didn't have enough in game triggers in it. And so players towards the end would be so worried about one or two points that they would like, elongate the game and the, and the game instead of being a 45 minute game would turn into an hour and a half you know in the last right, right. 20 or 30 minutes were, were just players like jockeying for one or two points of difference which is fine some some games that's great like maybe in a horse race game that works out really well but in a lot of a lot of games it's just kind of boring yeah well the same thing you look at basketball sometimes you know you're going yeah. almost four quarters and it's back and forth back and forth and it really just comes down to that last two minutes of just making it happen at the right time so it's like almost made the last hour and a half sort of mute yeah, that's a great point. But the great thing about basketball and any you know major sports is there's a clock. Except baseball, <laughs> baseball is a little different. But there's typically a clock that says, "Hey, the game is going to end when this hits zeros." And so here is here's your tension, here's your pressure, and then you know so you know what's going to happen as opposed to players just being able to push off the end game trigger. Like, can you imagine if if an NBA game there was some way to like add extra time to the game? I, okay, if you do this, you can add 30 more seconds to the game. And what if that just right. kept going on and on and on? It's like, well, when's this going to end? Like, it's got to end eventually. And so having uh, just another in-game trigger in there, whether it's a timer, some kind of set number of rounds, um, when when certain thresholds are hit, when certain resources run out, when certain decks of cards run out, something like that, just to have a, a, another way for the game to to finish. I feel like it can it could it would be really good for a lot of games to have, especially old old school games where this wasn't you know quite as big of a thing. Now we don't have as much time. You know, we, we don't have as much time as we used to, and there's a million games coming out every year. And so, adding little in-game triggers in there to speed up a game, you know, assuming that it works and it's thematic, I feel like is a, is a good thing for a designer to think about. All right, well, let's look at it from the other side of things. This is specifically for like co-op games of multiple lose conditions, right? Where where you have maybe one way to win. If you think about pandemic, there's one way to win. You gotta you know get you have to cure four diseases, but there's lots of different ways to lose. And so, uh, tell me about that. Did you? Have, have, do you have any experience kind of in that? Did you look at it from the other angle? Anything in your own game or any of your other things you've been working on design-wise as far as like having multiple lose conditions? So it's funny that you kind of bring that up. So the the thematic element of the MMA kind of forced me to have multiple win conditions. I didn't go into this game going, oh, let me think about everything I know about games and let me find how to make this game more replayable. It kind of was an organic situation because it was the nature of an MMA fight. Obviously, I wanted to include as much elements of a real fight as possible, and then that sort of came out of it. But knowing the success, or at least within the minor success of my game with everyone that's played it, 
um, I know that I have a sound engine. So in my next title, uh, even though it's not mixed martial arts at all, I'm sort of mimicking various ways that uh, parallel the MMA game so that I continue this idea and the luxury of having multiple win conditions. Um, and then in that uh, same breath, um, it is a little bit more advanced game. It's a little bit longer game. There will then actually be multiple lose conditions as well. Um, so we were talking before uh, we started recording a little bit about some other games and, and there's some cooperative elements. Well, maybe not everyone is working together, but everyone can still fail together. Um, so there are some things that, uh, because it's it's a little bit based on government and espionage, there are just world matters that could happen that could just basically affect everybody. Um, and so there's multiple lose conditions uh, that affect everybody, even though the win conditions might be a little bit more specific and uh, strategic based. So um, yeah, so it's kind of carrying over into some of my other titles as well. Yeah, gotcha. And that kind of brings up another point about layered conditions. If you think about games like Dead of Winter, you know, everybody has their own personal objective they're trying to accomplish, but then, you know, everybody could lose too. And so you kind of, you have to work together in that semi-cooperative way and then try to up win to a certain point. up to a certain point, right? And you try to win as a group, but then you try to be the one that really wins, right? And so you, you want to make sure that you're doing enough for, for the whole colony to survive because that's your, everybody's prerequisite for winning. But then you want to make sure you get your special objective as well. So you kind of have these layered uh, win conditions in there as well, which, which can really add some, some really cool, tense uh, moments uh, in, in some various ways. But at the same time, it's really hard to pull off. There's a reason why there's only like one Dead of Winter style game. Well, I guess now there's another one with the uh, Gen 7 just came out, the other Crossroads game. I got to check that one out. So maybe it does it as well. But there's, it's just really hard to accomplish. And so tell me about some of the design challenges you've run into with having these different layers of, of win conditions and different uh, things going on for players to constantly be thinking about. Sure. So I think one of the obstacles was a real fight is only two people. Yeah. But I made my game multiplayer. So how do you do that? So there's this element of like sort of unspoken cooperation. If there's multiple people playing, um, we can kind of gang up on somebody. We could all take this guy out first. Uh, this guy's got a bad poker face and we saw that he drew some good cards and we all start, you know, banging away at this guy and we work together to get him out. That's one layer. Next thing I know, I'm looking at you, the guy who just helped me, and now it's our turn. So this idea of it being a multiplayer fight um, is was sort of unique in the challenge of, okay, how do I emulate this real fight that's based on MMA, but that's not really happening in the real world. So that was the one thing that was like, okay, I don't have a model for this. Um, so that was one of the tweaks that was a, a little bit more challenging than some others. But as far as design challenges, I think one of the, the hardest things, and I'm sure it's, it's a common thing for a lot of designers, is the balance. Yeah. Uh, you know, designing came easy for me. Coming up with the graphics, I use a real simple approach. Um, the game came to me. The theme came to me easy. I didn't have to research much because I knew the theme. Um, but really was the hardest part was that balance. And I spent most of my time before playtesting living in like a numbers or, or Excel document and just going back and forth with that balance. And that was probably the hardest thing is, okay, how many defense cards versus offense cards? How realistic is it? How many more, how much more likely is someone to get knocked out versus submitted? You know, what's the most common way for someone to lose in MMA? Well, it's probably a TKO. So I have to have X amount of striking cards versus all these other variables. So I then not only balancing individual cards, balancing the likelihood of the different win conditions, you know, cause not every win condition is on an equal playing field. Um, so the biggest challenge was making a two player fight, a multiplayer game, and then balancing, uh, all those cards. Yeah. Gotcha. Now, did you go into like the actual stats of UFC or MMA in general, as far as, okay, X percentage of, of fights end in submission, X percentage end in, in knockouts and then kind of tweak your numbers that way, or what'd you do? 
No, not that deep. Um, I just so first I just uh, you know kind of, you just kind of know like you know people know how many times the Yankees won the World Series. You know some people you just kind of know those things. <laughs> I didn't go into hard numbers, um, but I I have a couple. Wikipedia is a great friend of looking at stats for for fights. So you just roll through and you just look at every fight and then you just see how it won, how it won. You look at every championship fight and you look at how it won, how it won, and you know one out of I don't know six or seven on average is a submission. The rest are going to be most likely TKOs. Some of them are knockouts. It depends on the weight class too. So majority wins at heavyweight are knockouts. Those are one punch guys. You know, you look at the little guys, those guys aren't really getting knocked out. So you're looking more at either TKOs or decisions. So when you guys got guys that are sort of, they don't have the power and they have the speed, um, you know, that those are probably more likely going to decisions. You're getting into those little bit middleweights. Those guys are a combination of submissions and knockouts. Um, so it wasn't hard facts it was a little bit of sort of intuition and a little bit of a little bit of uh, data collection but nothing major it was just a little bit more of of intuition but i, I just kind of knew the game so it was sort of an easy thing i just kind of you know had my own math on that gotcha and so did you have like different ratios of, of cards like are there certain are there a certain number of submission cards versus certain number of other cards just kind of based on those numbers that you were figuring out like how did you balance out the decks so that it would kind of fit the the ratio you were looking for yeah so um an, one thing was initially I, I wanted more in the game than I have in the final game. At first it was 108 cards. Um, and then I just started looking at, you know, cost and production and the likelihood of me, you know, self-publishing this. And was I going to do Kickstarter? Was I not going to do Kickstarter? How is this going to happen? So I ended up having a game basically built for 108 cards and then scaling it back. So I kind of had to recalculate all those figures again. So we got back to down to a single deck. I've since added some expansion packs that add some really cool stuff. Uh, but your core deck, a single deck, not a collector's deck, 54 cards, really 53 cards. One card is the uh, rule card, and it's the active fighter card you pass around, so you kind of keep track of who's on offense. Um, but um, it was just a back and forth. It was looking at a spreadsheet. If I have this, and this happens, a lot of what-ifs and a lot of playtesting individually at home, me by myself or me and my wife, and just looking at those outcomes and saying, okay, well, if this happens, I can play this. But if this card happens, what other cards can affect this? Well, how many times does this card actually show up? And then we would track a card, and I'd play through, I don't know, 500 hands and see how many times this combination can come up. Well, that combination is not really relevant. Is it really even worth taking up 53 cards to have that in the game? So that's not really part of the game. Um, okay, this comes up just enough, but maybe it's coming up too much. So let's subtract one variable that that needs to happen. So I pull away one specific grappling card that you need to achieve that to kind of make it a little bit tougher, but still achievable. Um, so it was just a lot of, before I even got play testers, it was just a lot of me flipping cards and looking for those um, those likelihoods. Yeah, I feel like in a game like this, you know, it's a card game, and so it's got lots of different combinations and different cards you can play off of each other. And then you just have to, again, you have to play test it over and over and over again to figure out well which cards are are, are not balanced, right? Which cards are, are happening too often, which combinations are a little bit too easy versus some that are a little bit too hard, and then what's the damage ratios? Like, there's just a lot that goes into that. And so let's keep going down this playtesting uh, road. What were some of the other issues you ran into during playtest? Or, or maybe you saw people playing the game, you're like, oh, man, I never even thought, never even thought about that, like that kind of thing. Yeah, so um, just real quick, having a little bit of a graphic designer's background and having a little bit of an ego artist background, um, I might make artwork for people and then a client or someone or even someone's like, oh, you should change that. And I'm like, ah, yeah, maybe not. It's my art. So I never really change my ideas for anybody else. 
However, going into this, I knew that I was first-time game designer. So I took every bit of advice like a sponge, and I read up on the do's and don'ts of playtesting. And I really, really let my playtesters influence um, the outcome of, of my results. So initially I went for like a real simple, basic black and white, almost cards against humanity kind of look. I wanted to be a little more mature than a Pokemon or magic. And I didn't want to get people get lost in the artwork. I wanted them to live in the moment of the fight. So I wanted the cards to read as simple as possible. So my first, maybe second prototype was completely black and white. I bring it to a, a Barnes and Noble play, uh, game night. And I was like, hey, folks, after we played a couple games of the games they were pushing, I got everyone to play my game there. Um, and then I was like, hey, this is kind of unofficial. You guys just became play testers. Thanks so much for checking it out. Do you guys have any advice? And they were like, uh, we need suits. We need colors. Uh, you need to separate this. And I just sit there with a notepad and I just like went around the room. And they didn't really rip into it, but it was just like these guys were gamers and they were willing to share what, what they like and what they don't like. I went back to the drawing board and I, next thing I know, things are color coded. Next thing I know, I made suits. I made font bigger. I made things a little, I simplified some things. I made some things a little bit more um, clear. I then added uh, a sequence. So I have a little legend on the bottom of each card. I know it's in some of the other playing card games out there. Um, but if you had a combination that you needed to achieve this task, it'll show you what other color codes that you need on the bottom. So it's kind of like a, a little legend. So yeah, a color, it was the coding, it was font. Nobody ever really challenged the the fight logic. I feel like I kind of had that down. Even when I when I play it with, you know, black belts in jujitsu, nobody ever comes at me and say, hey, that's not realistic or None of that. So I never really had that major issue. It was more just from a gamer's perspective and, and how they uh, held on to cards and what they would do and so forth. Um, but yeah, that was probably the, the bigger challenge. Yeah. Now, do you have it in the rule book as far as the ratios and like, okay, there, there's X number of, of these kinds of cards. And so you're more likely to win if you travel down this road. Like, do you have any kind of designer's notes? That's one thing I've, I've saw some people asking about in the, I think it was on the BGDL Facebook group is should, should the designer put any like strategy or tips and tricks in the rule book to kind of help players understand different nuances of the game? What are your thoughts? Oh, so yes and no. If I'm building a board game probably in the future and I have space and the luxury of creating all that content, I don't see why not, depending on how much I really want to give, you know, there's something about sort of house rules and people kind of been playing their own way for a while. And you would probably play Monopoly a little bit different in your household than my household. So maybe not everything need be spelled out. However, I don't have that luxury when it's a single rule card in a deck of 54. So on my website, um, I have the rules written out again. I have alternative rules. I have it where you can make it a drinking game. You can make it a gambling game. You want to even speed up a fast game to make it even faster. You pull out all the grappling cards and now it's just striking game. Uh, and then just recently I've added um, within the FAQ is scenarios. So not so much strategy, but some maybe uh, a couple, you know, what ifs or, or something that like the rules, not my rules aren't necessarily vague because it's kind of easy and there's a really easy learning curve. But there's some scenarios that I've noticed that certain people have maybe interpreted differently. Um, so I just kind of put some some scenarios. And within that, you kind of get an idea of some strategy. So, for example, a health card can be played at any time. If you don't read that part can be played at any time, you don't really interpret it and read it as, hey, it's not my turn. But if I play this card now, I'm going to gain health before someone attacks me. And in, in the same token, I'm able to redraw another card before I'm even attacked by my the next person. So if you just played that card on your turn and you didn't really read the whole card, there's that element of strategy of when to actually play health. Um, there are certain cards you can hold on to. There are certain cards that you know you could trade in cards. So there's, there's some strategies that people have to kind of like build upon as they play the game a couple more times. 
Um, so the, the website and those uh, little scenarios kind of like feed into a little bit of it. But I, th- I think a lot of the fun of it is to see how people sort of the strategies they can come up with. I know in the past I've, I've seen some uh, podcasts and, and read some things about how certain games have been broken over like a long period of time. After a while, someone came up with a strategy the designer never conjured up and it like broke the game. Yeah. So um, it's, it's kind of interesting to, to let people sort of figure out their own strategies because you could play this game a thousand times and, and probably come up with something I never really thought of. So the other day we were playing, it never happened in all my play testing and someone had um, like a 22 point strike, which, which took one person out of the game and diminished somebody else's health. And it was just the, the wild combinations of combos and specialty cards and free turn and adrenaline card and get to draw extra cards. And all of this just happened in, in like the one, I don't know what percentage that could have ever happened, but it never happened in real gameplay and never happened in playtesting. And we were all like in shock and we're like, whoa, that is like crazy. And it was like a jaw dropper for everybody. And I had never thought of that. It was like a 12 run card combo. It was like unbelievable. So it was really cool. Like something like that, if I put pushing that on the website, you might lose that wow factor maybe. So that, that was really exciting. Yeah. And what's cool about your game in that regard is that those things are possible. And that's one thing that, that sometimes I think uh, designers, they try to balance their game too much, right? Because you as, as a designer can say, oh, that's that's broken. That's a broken combination. I need to fix that. It's like, well, no, this is a really cool moment that that player got to experience by by every, the, the stars aligned in just the right way. And they were able to do something really, really awesome that became a cool moment and a cool story after the game. And so it's cool to have uh, those, those opportunities to do that. And going back to what you're saying as far as like having variants for a game or having slightly different ways to play, I think that could be a really cool thing to have maybe in the back of your rule book, like you said, if you have space, because it can... Uh, offer up more replayability. You know, if, if people have played the game a bunch of times, they want to do it a little bit differently, see it from a different angle. You can have these, you know, tweaks in there that say, hey, this is not like the, the best way to play, but if you want to have a game that goes faster or it's a little bit slower. I know in the, my space game, it, the game lasts about 45 minutes, but I had some playtesters that are like, we, we kind of want the game to go longer. I was like, okay, cool. And so I threw in a little variant that says, instead of uh, triggering one of the in-game triggers, you have to trigger two of them to end the game. And that added, you know, about 15 minutes to the game. So if you want to go from 45 up to 60, hey, here you go. And so it kind of um, spreads the game out a little bit longer, allows for a little bit different strategies and different things like that. I feel like it's a cool thing to add, especially if you have a game that has multiple win conditions that maybe you should uh, think about adding that uh, to your rulebook, like you were saying. Yeah, no, absolutely. And then some way to do it here is just in any game that has health is just, all right, add more health. Yeah. You know, you're playing with someone that's like a novice or, or you want to give somebody a handicap. Right. You're playing with a younger person that might have a different level of strategy. All right, you start with 25 points of health. All right, there you go. So yeah, there's a lot of, uh, I even kind of write that into the website where it's like, feel free. You don't like a card, take it out. You know, if, if it's not like, I don't know how many times my family, we've changed games. I'm the youngest of six. So a whole bunch of brothers were playing Monopoly and something just keeps happening. And we're like, this part's not fun. Get rid of it. Yeah. You know, it's your game. So once you buy it, it's yours. So um, you want to change it around. You want to write me, you want to email me, you want to, you know. I'm game for that. I think that's part of the experience. That's part of the fun of it, especially as a game designer. You know, you're giving the opportunity to a player to now not just play the game, but to sort of evolve the game. If it's house rules, what have you, to really be a, more than just a player, be a participant. 
Right. And another thing I've seen other games do kind of along these same lines is they have asymmetrical factions and different factions maybe have different win conditions or at least different ways that they accomplish their win conditions. And so you can increase the difficulty. And so if you have a, a, a new player coming in, you say, OK, well, here's here's a couple of really good factions for you to use just to get used to the mechanics and the way the game works and how you know how to play. And then there's these other factions that have some other things going on. They've got more special abilities and different things that kind of make them a little harder to play, a little more nuanced. But if you're a more experienced player, that's a way to balance the game out right if you take on one of these kind of more difficult to play factions and they've got the easier to play faction you know that kind of thing so i feel like having multiple win conditions when you have multiple you know uh, factions or multiple alien races or armies or whatever it is that's another way to kind of make the game more accessible to multiple people as opposed to having okay i've played this game 10 times i'm about to just destroy you because you've never played before well that can balance that that problem out yeah no absolutely and and i think giving everybody a fair chance you're going to make fans of a game if you just put somebody at a disadvantage from the get-go, either from lack of knowledge or they didn't have you know, a strategy or they didn't read the rule book as much as you have or they've only played it once and you played it five times, if that playing field is not level, you're, you're not going to get a fan out of that person. Yeah, and two things that are just really not fun in games is one, when you just get destroyed by somebody else, like you came in there like, well, I just got beaten by 100 points. Or if you're on the other side of that and you're like, you know you could destroy somebody by 100 points, so you have to nerf yourself. You have to like pull yourself back and you don't get to really have the full experience that you want to have and playing the game the way you you want to because you don't want them to have a terrible experience. And so like both of those sides, both sides of that coin are not super fun. And so if you can have like multiple win conditions or multiple ways to accomplish victory points and different things like that, I feel like it's a way to kind of, uh, balance the game again like we're saying if you have you know easier factions versus harder factions or, or like, like you were saying give give that new person 25 health and i've got 20 and that kind of balances things out so i can still play hard because you, you're starting with an advantage and maybe that's just a, a better way to go yeah yeah absolutely all right anything else you you kind of ran into as far as design challenges or through playtesting or anything like that uh, I can just kind of take you through my process of of playtesting and then yeah, maybe fine. something might surface so initially i didn't know where to go I built my game. I I play tested it thousands of times. I made my wife play. I made a friend and my brothers play. And then I really didn't know where to go next. I was relatively new. And I'm sure like some of your listeners and I see it on the board all the time. People are like, how do I get play testers? How do I get people to play my game? I just, you know, searched around. And next thing I know is the local Barnes and Noble had a game night. So I was like, all right, let me go there at least to play games, to at least look at somebody else's rule book, to at least look at other games. So I sat there two nights, played games that with strangers, and then politely at the end, I was like, hey, do you guys want to check out my game? Next thing you know, these guys are at the next local event. People are playing my game. I'm inviting people to, uh, uh, not Starbucks, uh, Panera. And next thing you know, we're in the back there. Then next thing you know, I'm in a meetup group, and we're playing games. And I ask people again, hey, you want to play my game? Next thing I know, I'm adding pizza and beer to it. Next thing I know, it's kind of growing and growing. Um, then at a certain point, I created non-disclosure agreements because there was stuff that wasn't out there yet or things I was working on. Like right now, I'm in the middle of a, a pitch to a major sports brand, um, which is pretty exciting for a game I haven't mentioned. Um, so it started growing and growing and growing. And um, I think just the challenge now is that in, in any process you do, if it's an artist, if it's development, whatever, there's moments of plateauing. And you get really comfortable where you are and you kind of keep doing the same thing and you're not really growing. And then you got to find it in yourself or find it in, you know, another person or another venue, whatever it is that gets you to that next plateau. And I think that's the next stage for me. The next challenge is where do I go from here? As far as my playtesting, as far as getting a bigger audience, you know, I could have probably figured out some things early on if I had 
5,000 play tests versus 500. So getting that group to grow, getting that experience, collecting that data. Um, the, I, so the big challenge right now is plateauing and, and where to get it to the next level. Yeah. Gotcha. Well, good luck with that process, man. It's not a, not an easy one to navigate for sure, but you bring up a great point. You just got to get out there. You just got to put your game out there and say, Hey, Hey, you guys want to play? I mean, it's, it's going to be difficult because that's, that's your baby, right? And that's your thing that you, and you know, it's not perfect, right? As much as you hope it is, you know, people are going to have negative things to say, or they're going to have negative experiences because that's just playtesting is what it is, but you got to put yourself out there. You guys, you got to uh, ask that question. Cause if not, it's just going to sit at your house all day long and it's never become a real thing. And if that's what you want, that's cool. Like if you don't want it to become a product, if you don't want to sell it in uh, stores or, you know, get it published, whatever, that's awesome. That's great. Do your thing. But if you want it out there in the world, you just got to put it out there. And so I feel like you doing what you did is, is definitely the way to go. And I, I feel like, just on that note, I felt like maybe I was a little intimidated either for cost or the fact that I wasn't really a game developer in my mind yet. Uh-huh. Like I, you know, I had to grow into that and accept that. Yeah. I didn't really pursue any of the big major cons or anything. I started at like these local geek fleas. Mm-hmm. So like uh, a flea market that was all towards like old school games, old school toys, like memorabilia, like rat fink. Like I just kind of found myself in, in these environments where I stood out. I was the only game. I was the only card game. I was the only MMM game. I was the only board game. I was like the only thing. And so I kind of gained a little traffic because I always was stood out just enough. When I started going to bigger things like Comic-Cons and things like that, maybe there was other MMA things and other fighting things, but now I'm the only board game. Then I, and still I kind of stayed away from some of these big cons. Next thing I know, I don't know if you guys are familiar with play NYC and this is a a New York city based um, indie gamers and the majority of them are all video game developers. So I set up at this big event at Hammerstein Ballroom and relatively new guy. And out of 2,000 tables, there was probably only like 20 tabletop games. So we kind of found these locations where like you get to stand out enough and you kind of don't get lost in it. Um, and I know that's some sort of feedback that people have about these big uh, game cons is that like the little guys just get like eaten up. Yeah. So finding finding a niche uh, for yourself and, and just sort of separating yourself from the, the norm a little bit is, is another recommendation. When you put yourself out there, find a place where you stand out. Yeah, that's a great point. You know, getting a booth at Gen Con when you've only got one game, you know, first of all, you're going to spend a ton of money to do that. And it's going to cost you way more than you're going to get back. And you're one of, you know, 600 other games that are going to come out that weekend. Right. And so it's very difficult to stand out. And so, yeah, that's a really good point. Finding finding the the paths that have not been tread quite as much. Right. The the, the roads less traveled by. Oh, yeah. Use the little Robert Frost uh, poem. Absolutely. Well, cool, man. Well, hey, do you got any kind of closing thoughts or, or final advice for somebody that's maybe working on a game with multiple win conditions? or kind of thinking about that uh, or that kind of a mechanism? Yeah, I w- I'd say for me, like, and this is one of the debates I, I see on the boards lately is, is it theme versus mechanics? And, and for me, the, the theme has got to be the reason why you got into it in the first place. I don't think there's people really sitting back going, I have this great idea for this and zero theme. The theme has to be the interest. Maybe you're a little bit more, you know, engineered based or you're a little bit more the tinkering type and you got this idea to do something. And I know your flick game is probably one of those prime examples of what I'm talking the opposite about. And you had that great idea, but I feel like for most people to really behind a particular game or interest, there's gotta be a theme. There's gotta be a reason. And so the theme for me, at least is what drove getting the the mechanism. So my mechanic of the multiple win condition was based on my theme. And if I had a different theme, I might've not have really latched onto that multiple win condition. However, like I was saying earlier, now that that's part of my mechanics, 
any game I build now is going to have that because that's what makes, I think, my game so much fun. So I would say first, it's got to make sense. You can't just have multiple win conditions because it seems like the right thing to do, but thematically it doesn't make sense. So if you have Corrupt Judge and next thing you know you have a clown with balloons and you could do, you know, either get arrested or you fly away, that doesn't make any sense in a particular <laughs> game. So it's got to be it's got to be true to your theme, but you got to figure out a way that that theme could be spread out enough where you give people an opportunity to really achieve what's happening in that theme, if that makes sense. Could have been rambling a little bit there, but uh, I, I just think it's got to be aligned with the theme. So don't make multiple win conditions for the sake of multiple win conditions, but it's got to be thematic. Yeah, no, I, I definitely uh, agree with that. And making it make sense is really what's also going to help your game stand out, right? Because people, there again, there's so many games now that if the more you're in line with whatever that theme is, and the more people feel that experience, like in your game, the more they kind of feel like they're in this fight. And a fight without getting actually punched in the face sounds really good to me. You know, that's one thing I was like, man, because back when I was in high school and college, I, I got into jujitsu and uh, and taekwondo and different things. I was like, this this kind of fun. And then you get punched in the face, and you're like, man. This is not nearly as much fun. And so if, if you can kind of have a thematic game that gives somebody the feeling of that without having to get punched in the face, so to speak, uh, I feel like it's a, it's a really cool, cool thing that, that you've accomplished. And so, yeah, definitely want to make sure the theme and the mechanics go well together. That's funny you say that. I'm just going to give a little shout out to Jason Smith at Board Game Mechanics. So his quote was, it felt like we were beating the snot out of each other without beating the snot out of each other. <laughs> Yeah, and that's exactly what you want. Well, no, man, really appreciate your time. Appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, good luck with Deck Fighters and, and Panda Hawk Games and everything else you got going on right now. Thank you so much, man. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com and find all sorts of game design resources, bonus material, and chances to win free games at boardgamedesignlab.com. And until next time, keep designing, keep playtesting, and keep creating great games. Did I mention keep playtesting?